Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with John Porter, Vice President of Recology, which collects San Francisco's trash. We're talking today about the city's incredibly dirty streets and some changes Recology is trying to make to help keep them cleaner. John Porter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Uh, I apologize if I'm tired this morning. I was out late last night on a ride-along with some of your garbage collectors in the Tenderloin, so (laughs) that was quite an eye-opening experience. I heard you did a great job. (laughs) It was fun. Um, I just wanted to compliment you also on how hardworking that team is. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, very hard job. Bobby and Ron are two of our best, and, you know, they've... uh, they work really hard, and they're proud in that area that they serve in the Tenderloin. And I, I look at them and pick them for your ride along because I knew they'd be very helpful and, yeah. and help you understand what they go through and how hard they are working. So. Yeah, very enthusiastic, too. I wanted to start by talking about zero waste. That was a goal set back in 2003 by uh, the mayor at the time, um, that nothing would go to landfills by 2020. And mm-hmm. I know that was revised last year because it was not achievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just about at 2020 now. Um, I just looked at the controller's scorecard, and um, it says that in September, 53% of waste from homes and small businesses in the city was recycled or composted, Mm -hmm. and 47% went to landfill. Why do you think getting to zero waste is so hard to achieve? That's a great question. I I don't know that it's – it's always been an aspirational goal, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, just like vision zero. You know, zero is an aspiration that we're all trying to achieve. Uh, We are investing heavily in the infrastructure. Last year we uh, built a new uh, organics uh, transfer station where our materials – all the compost is taken in the city uh, and transferred to a composting facility near – Modesto. And uh, we outgrew the old facility. I mean, we started uh, the program, I think we're doing 300 tons a day. Now we're over 700, 800 tons a day of of compost material in San Francisco. So uh, it's been growing. Um, You know, with that, that stream has actually been a raging success. And I think that that is... um, you know, something that no, we're the envy of other cities. They don't have an organics program like we do in San Francisco. The recycling side um, is a little more challenging in the sense that the materials that, um, you know, people are creating today, mixed plastic and paper, you get, you know, you order uh, a product and it's got a, a paper backer with plastic wrapping over it. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to unlock that paper from that plastic. And so uh, one of the things that, you know, our CEO has um you know, pushed on and, and had written a letter to the plastics industry on kind of producer responsibility and, and looking to simplify those uh, materials and focusing on reuse and recycling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the challenges uh, of that. And then um, in terms of getting to zero, you know, our greatest opportunity that people don't realize is actually probably in construction and demolition. There's a lot of waste that goes into mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tearing down buildings and then building new buildings on top of them. And so we're right now um, working with the planning department on entitling a new construction and demolition facility, uh, which should help us increase our capacity for construction and demolition waste by about 
uh, 50%, but then also increase the recovery that we're getting from that material by 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, uh, I think we've, we've made a lot of headway, uh, but still there's, there's some challenging pl- pockets that we haven't quite uh, been able to reach. Multifamily environments uh, where people are living in large uh, apartment buildings uh, have one, uh, you know, a place where their trash goes and they're, they're not maybe offered recycling compost. Mm. We have an outreach program um, working with apartment buildings on education. We go door to door tell the uh, residents, you know, how to recycle and compost. And we work with the building management to uh, provide equal and adequate access to all streams. And Mm -hmm. we're having a lot of success with that. Uh, I think we saw like an average of 20% increase of recycling and compost in the uh, multifamily buildings that we worked with. So Mm -hmm. we're going to continue working with them on that. Um, does all the online ordering happening now contribute to more um, more waste? I would, some of it just has so much packaging when you order like one little object from Yeah, Amazon. the stat that I read about a year ago is that ordering something from Amazon uh, requires eight times more packaging than buying it from a store. Wow. Uh, that was a little bit of a – that's an older stat, you know, mm-hmm. about a year old. Uh, but if you think about – you know, the large cardboard boxes that come to a, a store, you know, having a lot of objects in them, you know, a lot of paper towels, for example, it holds, you know, probably 20 customers worth of paper mm-hmm. towels. And you get a, one paper towel in the, in the uh, Amazon and mm-hmm. it comes in a box that's twice as big as the paper towels. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a, uh, you know, a really great way of packaging that. But, uh, you know, that as long as they're using cardboard, mm-hmm. um, that is a valuable commodity that, that can be recycled and is actually very desirable. You know, especially American cardboard has long fibers that other uh, countries want because they can turn it into cardboard again and, and then, you know, downgrade it to paper and then tissue paper. So there's a there's a lot of reuse capability of cardboard. Uh, the products, they call them blister pack, which are kind of uh, – uh, you know, new envelopes that, that have the kind of poppy, you know, mm-hmm. th- those are uh, challenging to recycle. Um, film plastic markets are not quite as robust as other types of mm-hmm. material like cardboard. And uh, so, you know, our preference would be uh, having these companies focus on products that have a good end of life that can be reused or recycled um, mm-hmm. would be our preference. And there's been a lot of news recently about how China shut down its market and is not accepting recyclables anymore. How is Recology coping with that? So San Francisco is a success story. You know, I, you see the in the news nearly every day, this this county or this municipality is cutting down the amount of uh, products they're accepting in the recycling program. You know, in the face of that, what, you know, people in our industry call a crisis, uh, we actually expanded the commodities that we accept in the recycling bin. And we actually uh, provided every single family home with a larger recycling bin and mm-hmm. a smaller trash can. So uh, over the last two years, we've uh, offered every single resident a 16-gallon trash, which traditionally is 32-gallon, and a 64-gallon recycling, which traditionally that was also 32 gallons of recycling. And we had about 74% of San Francisco San Franciscans say yes to that program, which would re, uh, reduce the amount of material sent to landfill by about 10% and increase recycling by the same percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, during that very time, we've invested in our infrastructure. We've added, um, you know, we, we've traveled to Las Vegas and San Diego and uh, into Atlanta and looked at other equipment that we can use to clean up those streams to make our material more marketable. Uh, And we installed three optical sorters from France that were purpose built for identifying paper and keeping that paper stream clean. The last uh, number I heard a few days ago is our our last test was at Mm -hmm. 0.5% contamination in our paper, which is incredible. Uh, and so, 
you know, our theory in San Francisco is if you produce a high quality product, it's always going to have a market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you invest in the infrastructure to get it there, um, you're, you're not going to have any issues. And that's proven to be correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then about three months ago, we uh, integrated three uh, what, what are considered robots, uh, actually, sorry, four robots um, from a company in the Northwest, BHS, that uh, are targeting cleaning up our plastic streams to keep those materials marketable. So uh, it's it's a dynamic environment. It's, it's the markets are changing, but we we have not had an issue in San Francisco in in the recycling in the area of recycling. It, cool. It's still a strong program. Hear more of my conversation with John Porter of Recology after this quick break. I'm back with John Porter of Recology. Last night I saw the new um, blue bins with the cool new locking devices. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain? I understand they're being piloted. They were rolled out in Hayes Valley Correct. and now the Tenderloin. Yes. Um, so how do they work and what is your hope for what they'll achieve? Uh, so I want to say about a year and a half ago, uh, working with um, the mayor and Mohammed uh, Nuru with Public Works, uh, you know, we had a conversation about what can Recology do to kind of help keep the streets clean. And uh, one of the things was abandoned material. We adjusted our collection times. We actually expanded the number of routes that we use to service the city to kind of help keep the city clean. And we saw about a 20% reduction in abandoned waste calls mm-hmm. as a result. Um, so that was a positive. But w- one of the other things that we had seen is loose litter. San Francisco can, has hills, a lot of hills. Uh, can be windy. Uh, there are large, high-traffic commercial corridors. Uh, you know, people will you know, open a lid they see on the street just to recycle the, the paper in their pocket. Um, and... One of the things we noticed was some of the loose litter was coming from these cans. So we thought, well, maybe in a, an enclosed can that uh, would you know prevent them from opening if they were tipped over or knocked over uh, or blown over, for example, uh, may help with that, mm-hmm. uh, especially on high traffic commercial corridors. So uh, it, we worked with uh, several vendors. Uh, we piloted one can in, in uh, the Hayes Valley in August. That can, we had got some feedback. We went back to a different vendor, asked them if they can make it specific to San Francisco with some tweaks, and they've done that. Uh, that pilot, uh, those cans were uh, delivered in September, and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback mm-hmm. from the uh, merchants in that area. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we decided to expand it to the Tenderloin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did 100 cans in the Tenderloin about a month ago. So far, so good. Knock on wood. Uh, it, you know, there, there's less litter around the cans that we're experiencing and seeing. We're documenting every night, mm-hmm. uh, driving through the areas where the cans are, and we're going to order another thousand and expand the pilot uh, that should be here in you know end of December uh, mm-hmm. and looking for those high traffic commercial corridors. So, so the old version had the padlock right on it, and then this one is actually built oh, into self enclosed. Correct. Yeah. So, how do people? If it just automatically locks, actually use it during the week, you know, to put so stuff in. The customer has a key okay. that they can unlock, and it will remain unlocked until they lock it. And then okay. our trucks have the ability to unlock them upon service. So once they lock it, when they put it out on the mm-hmm. curb at night, it will remain locked until we arrive and service that can. So mm-hmm. we don't have any keys. I'm not sure if you it saw. It just automatically attaches to the truck. Yes. And it unlocks somehow that way. Correct. Through magic. Through okay. magic. <laughs> Through magic. And the idea is that people on the street wouldn't be able to break into them. Uh, break into them. Or even if they are knocked over, mm-hmm. they won't open. Okay. Right. And so that locking service, I'm not sure if you got to see Bobby or Ron's keys last night. I um, did. Yeah. Those bundles are, can be very, very large. It's amazing and that I can keep track of all of those keys. I know. It's it's incredible to me as well. And this 
enables our drivers not to have to have these keys. Mm-hmm. The the customer has a key. We don't we don't have to access it. And that key is actually a, a four charge service. The intention of this can, if it works, would to make it be free to the customer since oh. we're no extra work for but us. But right now it's still being charged for. Uh, not not on the pilot areas. Oh, okay. We've removed that charge. Um, if they had a locking can before, we've given them the new can. Mm-hmm. But if they had in other areas, um, you know, if you have locking service, it is an additional charge mm-hmm. because. We need to How make, much do you pay if you have the padlock? Uh, I believe it's $14 a month. Okay. Yeah. And then Supervisor Matt Haney's been working a lot on ways to keep the tenderloins mm-hmm. cleaner since it's such a dirty neighborhood. Um, and he's pushed for more collection of bins from inside people's garages mm-hmm. or, you know, side yards or whatnot so they don't have to leave them on the street. Um, and I saw the uh, collectors last night going into a lot of homes mm-hmm. that way. What's your perspective on that? They said that it can also be problematic because people can follow them inside to try to break in. And... I've heard those stories. Um, yes, we've met with Supervisor Haney's office, and again, he as well is very serious about uh, making his district cleaner. And we, you know, as part as a service brand in San Francisco, we want to do everything we can to help with that. Um, Matt also did a ride along mm-hmm. with uh, Bobby yeah. and Ron, <laughs> and I think he had a very positive experience too. And uh, you know, inside service will work for some customers. It, it, it doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. There are businesses that um, jewelry stores or, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, restaurants who mm-hmm. don't want garbage men coming through on a rainy night, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tracking, you know, their boots through mm-hmm. their, their, their restaurants. Um, and so, you know, we, we've, we've been pushing inside service where possible, but we're seeing about half the customers that we ask that don't already have it, don't want it at all. Um, and so it really is a choice of the customer. Mm-hmm. I think a combination of expanded inside service and these these new these new carts will do a lot to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also changing the route times uh, mm-hmm. in the Tenderloin, providing those customers with a window of time when we'll be there. So a more specific time, exactly mm-hmm. a two hour window, so they know exactly when we'll be there, uh, so that their cans won't stay out all, all night. Mm-hmm. You know, less. And is it shifting to early morning? I think it is shifting yeah. to early morning. Correct. Okay. Uh, less traffic, um, and uh, you know the hope is that uh, you know we'll be able to get in and out of there in a few hours, and um, the stores can open, have new, new fresh garbage cans, and, and not have to worry that mm-hmm. way. But people will still put them out probably at night, right? If it's early morning pickup. It, it depends. You know, there's uh, you know some businesses that are opening earlier, but some, one of the windows I believe is from uh, eight to ten, and mm-hmm. so you know they might do it right when they get in. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might put them out at night. Uh, it's a possibility. Okay. And this is the 10-year anniversary of San Francisco becoming the first city in the country to um, make composting Mm -hmm. mandatory. A decade later, how do you think that initiative has gone, and have you seen other cities following our lead? Yes. um, So as I mentioned earlier, you know, that's the point of pride for us is our composting program. To go from kind of 300 tons a day when we first started to nearly 800 tons a day is a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, We get people from around the world coming to visit our uh, facility, ask us questions about how programmatically we manage it. Um, but, you know, San Francisco is unique in the sense that I think we have a, a customer base that's really passionate about the environment, and mm-hmm. it's even becoming more topical today. Uh, and so uh, I think we're very fortunate in that regard. Other places, you know, like New York, for example, you see the articles. Uh, if you've been there, I was there recently, you know, they, they put their, their bags on the street. They mm-hmm. don't have garbage rooms. They don't have rooms for carts and containers. So that, that present, presents unique challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're very fortunate to have kind of a, uh, a city that, that makes it uh, possible as well as a population that supports it. So I, I would consider that one of our most greatest successes mm-hmm. right now. And do you see that as being quite linked to climate change and something that regular people can do yes. about it? Yes. 
I actually think, you know, composting is really under uh, appreciated in its ability to trap carbon in the soil. Uh, you know, we've uh, John um, Wick from the Marine Carbon Project has done a lot of great work in this area, um, putting compost on pasture lands, uh, showing that it, it retains moisture. Uh, you know, California has been subject to droughts in the past. You know, if you compost naturally, uh, you reduce the risk and need of watering your lands, uh, as well as sequestering carbon so it becomes a carbon sink. We'll actually keep carbon or bring carbon out of the atmosphere and keep it in the ground where, where it belongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think that that is a, a huge success, and I, I think we need to do a better job of educating how impactful it can be and mm-hmm. positively for the environment. What's the most common mistake you see people make when it comes to putting waste in the black, blue, or green bins? And what do you find that people are still confused about? That is a good question. Um, let's see here. You know, loose film plastic is is a really a big challenge for our recycling bins uh, because... Can you put them... I'm always confused about what you should do with the soft plastic. So soft plastic should be put in a, a plastic bag, you know, basketball-sized bas- plastic bag where we can capture it and, and keep it clean. But when you but put in it... in the blue bin? In the blue bin. Mm-hmm. But when it's loose, uh, it, it, it can get caught in our equipment. It's diff- difficult to capture. Uh, because it's so light, it has the attributes of paper. So if you mm-hmm. think about a piece of paper and a piece of pl- a film plastic, our equipment treats it the same way, and we can get plastic in that paper, which is not what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've invested to kind of prevent that from happening. Uh, other areas uh, that we've seen challenging, you know, on occasion, glass and compost is a, is mm-hmm. a challenge. We don't want that. Um, it, it, it's just not good for the product, not good for the processing equipment, uh, you know, and plastic in the compost as well. Uh, but overall, I would say San Franciscans actually do a very, very good job, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to do the right thing. So. And do you have to clean all plastic before you put it in the blue bin? Like uh, yogurt container, for example. You or? know, th- I would focus, you know, what I do at home is, you know, pour a little water in it, shake, shake the bottle, drain it out and put it in, you know, if as long as it's not a a significant amount, you know, uh, in the container, and it can, it won't spread amongst the other materials, you're fine. So shake it out, Mm -hmm. get it, get it as dry as you can, but don't waste a lot of water or time trying to make it perfectly clean. Okay, good to know. (laughs) Um, The city has struggled to figure out a trash can, you know, for its sidewalks that Mm -hmm. keeps waste inside and isn't easily broken into and rifled through. And the mayor likes the big belly cans, but Public Works doesn't. Um, What do you think about what is the right can for our sidewalks? Well, you know, I think Big Belly is is a brand like Coke when it comes to like uh, garbage containers, you know. <laughs> uh, so people refer to you know, say Big Belly. I think they're really talking about a self enclosed can that mm-hmm. you know people can't get into. Um, and my my preference is whatever works for that community. They should 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 you know invest in. I think the the cost of a Big Belly is is a little higher than I feel comfortable if I were in that you know a CBD or a BID mm-hmm. that was investing in that. I, I think there's probably other alternatives. Uh, but my most import, my most uh, concern is really on the driver's side. Um, you know, I want something that is easy to service. Right now, the city cans have liners. Uh, they have to lift those liners into the truck, dump mm-hmm. them into the truck. I would prefer something similar to the carts that you saw that they can just roll out with wheels on it, uh, attached to our truck, and service mm-hmm. easily. Um, that that's my biggest, um, you know, need right now is something like that. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other options. Mohammed is piloted. 
Public Works is piloting a, a solar PEL is the brand. It's, it's very similar to a Big Belly, uh, but it's much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing pretty much the same outcomes with the, the, the Big Belly alternative. I think mm-hmm. that the idea is right. It just comes down to dollars and cents, what, mm-hmm. what makes the most sense to invest in. And we've touched on um, this a little bit, but I wanted to ask again. I think residents and tourists are always just wondering why is San Francisco so dirty? Like it just seems dirtier than most big cities internationally or in the uh, elsewhere in the U.S. Um, and when I was out last night, your guys are working so hard collecting so much trash mm-hmm. from. They were doing the black bins, but then you still see on the sidewalks just so much disgusting trash in the streets. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? It, why is San Francisco so dirty? Well. Uh, you know, I maybe I have a different perspective. You know, I, I've lived in the city my entire life, um, fourth generation San Franciscan. I, you know, I think, you know, I was just in New York a few weekends ago. I, I think there's a little overstatement on how actually dirty San Francisco is relative to a big city. And then there's parts of San Francisco like the Sunset and Richmond, which are kind of like suburban type environments mm-hmm. who are fabulously clean. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and then there's the higher traffic areas like the Tenderloin, like the Mission, like, the, you know, the Castro, um, like Stockton Street in Chinatown, mm-hmm. where the, you get a lot of people in, in a confined space uh, and you get a windy environment, you know, there's going to be a little litter. Um, I actually think things have gotten better over the last year from my perspective and looking at just being in the city, being on the streets, looking at the 311 data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think we're ha- having an impact with our, our partners in, this, in at Public Works. I mean, we meet weekly talking about what city can has the most overflows mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we'll adjust our service or collection frequency on those cans. And so if it's, something's overflowing, like uh, there's one on Ocean Beach, you know, and it gets a lot of customers on a Saturday. Well, okay, we go there twice now. Maybe we should go a third time. Does it get back on our radar? Well, maybe we need to be there a fourth time. So we are adjusting real mm-hmm. time uh, to, to have a positive impact. Um, you know, I, I don't, I think there's a lot of hype around how terrible like the litter is. I don't see it being as different as the as, as people make it to be from other mm-hmm. larger city environments. But that's one I man's have to perspective. I disagree with you on that. All right. <laughs> Agreed Fair to disagree. Enough. Well, you've survived the serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning round. What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? That's a great question. Um, I would say Gordo's on Ninth and Irving. Okay, would be, that's a popular answer. Is it okay? Good. What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh, uh, I'm thinking my cousin's going to want me to say The Rock. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything better. Um, I'll go with The Rock. It's not a, that's not a final answer. I might elect <laughs> you, to come back revise. to this question. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Ooh. Um, well... I would be remiss if I did not say the Philosopher's Club on West Portal. Yes. Good one. What was your first concert? Oh, uh, I would say it was a free Tibet concert uh, with Rage Against the Machine and Golden Gate Park. Oh, fun. Yeah. What was the last book you read? I am just finishing uh, Call Sign Chaos by James Mattis. Okay. Uh, What is the weirdest thing you've ever seen thrown in a recology bin? Well, that's a that's an interesting. We actually found a live mortar round about a year ago, wow. uh, very large mortar round. Uh, we had the bomb squad come out uh, and, and take care of that. So fortunately, no one was hurt, and it was. Do you uh, remember where that was found? It, well, I don't remember. I know the truck it came in on, but I don't. We don't know where it came from. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wow. 
I wasn't anticipating that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the strangest thing you've heard a garbage collector experience while on their route? Wow. Um, I've heard a lot of really great stories. Um, Recently, I heard a driver tell about uh, he found someone wrapped up in a piece of uh, in a rug on the street and he had to unfurl the rug to get the guy out and (laughs) the guy ran away. Um, Don't know how or why he got there. Was that in the tenderloin? I don't remember the place. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Little kids love garbage trucks almost as much as fire trucks. What do you think is the appeal? That is a great question. Um, my two nephews love garbage trucks. I, you know, I think there's a, an attraction to any heavy piece of heavy equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we recently had a kind of family barbecue at Recology, uh, and one of the things uh, that we had as part of that uh, was a antique truck tour where we took you know the families and their children on our old garbage trucks that you may have seen in the parades we have in the mm-hmm. city, uh, and there was a line going out of the facility the entire barbecue. Um, you know, we. How took, old is your oldest truck? Uh, that is a great. I think we have one from the fifties, okay. uh, big red. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they, they loved it. People were going on it multiple times. You know, we've got, uh, tractors, we've got, uh, bulldozers, we've got loaders, you know, in the garbage truck. I mean, there's an, a detraction to heavy equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Cool. Lastly, what is one thing you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Well, you're like this answer, reading the news. <laughs> That is a good answer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the Chronicle. Read it every single day religiously, first thing in the morning. Wake up around 5, 4.35 in the morning, and that's the first thing I do with a cup of coffee every day. Wow. That is the best answer we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> good. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you to John Porter for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.